But there's another question that I think we need to add to those these questions. Yes, he's able. Um, he's allowing it. But there's something, is there something of greater value to God than preventing Greetings, fellow Earthlings. Welcome back to the No Greater Joy podcast. Where'd that, where'd that come from? <laughs> There's a stroke of genius. I love it. Welcome back. New episode, No Greater Joy podcast, brought to you by the pastors here at Grace Baptist Church, because we want for our people what Jesus wants for his people, and that's to no greater joy. And we step into those areas of no greater joy by being a 24-7 worshiper, a go person, and alongside her, and we have a little fun. That's right. Um, pastor Steve Strong, lead pastor here at Grace. Once again, I'm with uh, two of my buddies right Associ- across the table. Associate Pastor Ryan Atkins. Also a fellow Earthling. That's and right. Dan Kraniak, our tech tech guru, member here at Grace and producer for this podcast, also a fellow Earthling. And uh, we're going through a series of episodes talking about uh, the area of theology, theology proper, just the study of who God is, understanding who he is. Um, we've tried to answer certain questions. What is he like? And uh, we've gone through his attributes, his communicable attributes, his incommunicable attributes. Uh, we've talked about the Trinity the last time. And we want to talk about this time um, the plan of God. And I guess we're answering a question here with so, how does God, how does he, and how does he act? In his creation. Mm-hmm. All right. And so um, I think we want to start with two lengthier passages of scripture. And we want to take the time to read those. Uh, Ryan, you'll read the first. I'll read the second yep. one. The first is Ephesians 1, and then Isaiah 46, uh, a section. And um, we normally don't, normally don't take time to read these lengthy uh, passages in the podcast, but these are. You know, if there are two passages in Scripture that I would kind of narrow down to, it would be these two in talking about and answering that question, well, how does God operate? Does he mm-hmm. operate, and how does he operate within his creation? Um, uh, these would be the two. So I think it's worth taking a minute and, and listening to the Word of God as it's being read, and then we'll make some general observations about them. So uh, the first one is Ephesians 1, 1 to 14. Yep. Uh, Ryan, you want to go ahead and read that for us? Yeah. So if you want, grab your Bibles, pause, grab your Bibles, open up to Ephesians 1. Starting in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with everything spiritual, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, 
which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Amen. That's what right. an awesome passage. There's so much there. Um, the second one is Isaiah 46, and a little debrief, I guess. Isaiah is comparing Yahweh with false gods, so he talks about Bel and Nebo. Um, but here's what Isaiah read, uh, writes in Isaiah 46, 1 through 11. Bel bows down. Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop. They bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear. I will carry, and will save. To whom will you liken me, and make me equal, and compare me, that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse, and weigh out silver in the scales, they hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place. It stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Um, I think a big picture of that passage there, what a beautiful description comparing God to false gods. And the biggest difference is God actually does something. <laughs> These other gods don't do anything. Mm -hmm. And so what are some of the, the big observations that we can make from these two passages? Uh, so... Just you know, just a few to think through that every aspect of God's plan, God's will, was first planned long ago. Like this isn't an evolving um he's not responding to our responses. No, this is a plan <clears throat> that was um 
you know, predestined and foreordained to be accomplished. Um, yeah, like before the foundations of the world. Yes. He had this. <laughs> yes. Like yep. before we can even imagine it was set. Um, <clears throat> his plan is according to the good pleasure of his will. Uh, we mm-hmm. see that in Ephesians 1 there. Yeah, um, over and over. Yes. Like he's not uh, coerced. He's not forced to plan and carry any carried mm-hmm. out. Like this was by God's own free choice uh, that this plan was um, – a planned and B enacted and is in the process of being enacted. Yep. It's for yeah. his glory. Yep. Um, which we see throughout Ephesians one. Uh is this plan is singular and includes everything. Like it is there's nothing that is outside of this yep. plan. It's a plan for the fullness of time. Yes. Like whenever there is time, that is within God's plan. Yep. It is a, a personal plan mm-hmm. uh, in that he has um, kind of predestined us, those who know him, uh, to be known. And um, so it's, it is personal. It is Christ-centered. We see that throughout the Ephesians 1 passage. And it is absolutely sure. Yep. Like, there is no doubt uh, about his plan. Uh, and we see that in Isaiah 46 in the middle of that passage. Yep. Right He's at the not going to be thwarted. Yes. Yep. He will bring it to pass. He is purposed and he will do it. Uh, yep. at the end of that Isaiah passage. I love what you said there, that it's personal. <clears throat> you know, we don't yep. have a God who has a plan for all things but doesn't care about people. Um, I tell you what, man, those passages mm-hmm. are, are huge, um, really significant in thinking about and recognizing we have a God who is interested and involved and invested and active in everything that's going on in our world. Yep. Um, and, and it's not just these passages. There's others as well, other scriptures that kind of give us a sense of what is included in mm-hmm. this plan that God has. Um, and we just kind of want to rattle these off real quick. And you think about world events is one of them. Um, Isaiah chapter 37, verse 26, considering the invasion of of Assyria into the northern kingdom. Uh, have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should make fortified cities crash into heaps of ruin. So these world, these large world events that are going on even today, a part of God's plan. Yeah, so when you're thinking, what in the world is happening? God's plan. That's right. It's, it's a part of it's, his plan. It's it still falls within... Working. His plan, yeah, that's yep. right. Um, there's also included in his plan just uh, the stability and the uh, working of the universe. Uh, Psalm 119, uh, verses 89 to 91. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. Yep. Yeah, it's like he's upholding all creation. I think that's in Colossians. Like, why does the world not fall apart physically? Well, it's because God has a plan and he's holding it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Things like history and national boundaries. Paul, when he's there in Athens um, at the Areopagus, I believe, is where he's he's speaking to a whole bunch of philosophers and incredibly smart men. He says in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, He, that's God, made from one man every nation of mankind— to live on all the face of the earth, 
this God who made man to live on the whole face of the earth, he determined allotted periods of time, history, and he allotted the boundaries of where people were going to be dwelling. So history, nations, national boundaries, that kind of thing, part of God's mm-hmm. plan. Which also then leads into rulers and governments. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romans 13, first two verses, mm-hmm. let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Yep. Whether your ruler is an anarchist or a dictator or a Democrat or Republican, plan of God. Mm -hmm. Uh, It also includes things that we would probably consider random and chance, Mm -hmm. uh, the casting of lots. Um, Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but its very decision is from the Lord. Mm -hmm. Uh, So even random, random Chance things, part mm-hmm. of the plan of God. Yep, happenings and decisions. Uh, you think of James 4, uh, starting in verse 13. James writes, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And so all these happenings, these decisions, uh, you know, James is highlighting, that's all part of God's plan. Yeah, we just interviewed a guy about his gospel story. Yeah. And he made a decision to go to a certain school to play soccer and study something, business or whatever it was. But that was a part of the plan of God, really. He went to that school to get saved. Yep. That's what God was doing. Yep. Yep. So decisions and happenings. Um, The the kinds of death that happened, um, even death falls within the plan of God. John 21, 18 and 19, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress for yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. And then he said, uh, to show what kind of death he was to glorify God after saying this, he said, follow me. So even the kind of death that Jesus was going to have and others, he even talks about John the, or uh, Peter, the kind of death he's going to those fall within the plan of God. Mm-hmm. Personal ministry and purpose, mm-hmm. um, how we go about our days. Galatians 1, Paul writes, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Like Paul's acknowledging that it wasn't just a call on a road to Damascus. It was That was a, a step in the plan of his life that started – Way before he was born, that he was set apart. Yep. Eternity passed, set yep. apart. In God's plan, he set him apart and then allowed him to get trained mm-hmm. under Gamaliel for all those years, allowed him to persecute the church, and then he calls him. Yep. So his ministry and his purpose. And along those lines, um, personal plans. I love the honesty that describes or that Paul uses just to, <laughs> in his own missionary journeys. Um, what his desires were, but then God was like, nope. Um, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians and in Romans, um, first of all, I think it's 1 Corinthians 5, I will visit you, he's writing to them, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you for even a, uh, with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go, for I don't want you to see you just in passing 
I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Um, and then Romans 1.10, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So um, the plans that Paul has fall underneath the, the plan of God mm-hmm. and really in submission to the plan of God. Uh, and our salvations fall under the plan of God. Second uh, Thessalonians 2, verse 13, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Yeah, and that's the huge point of Ephesians 1, that lengthy passage that we're yes. reading. And even falling within the plan of God is sin. Um, uh, he says a stone in First Peter chapter 2, in talking about the gospel, talking about Jesus Christ, and a stone is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Uh, What a profound statement. Um, They rejected Jesus, which was a sin, but they did it as a part of the plan of God. Mm -hmm. So those are all these kind of themes or ideas of things that are included in God's plan. Um, But now we need to talk about kind of how does this plan come about? And there's really four kind of ways that we... um, Acknowledge one is the the directive will of God. You have the permissive will of God, the prescriptive will of God, and God's providence. And so we're just going to walk through them one at a time. Uh, and so the directive will of God, you have God determining whether it's electing or creating or saving. Like this is His plan. Um, and a, a phrase that I know, Pastor Steve, you you've have used. Um, I can't remember which series we were in, but it was maybe it was First Samuel, where it was God's plan. God's timing, God's way, God's will, right? Like those kind of four pieces to his directive will. Um, what else would you add to kind of help us understand his directive will? Yeah, I think in, in big terms, you think about this is what God has decreed to happen. And so um, God has a plan. He's determined to accomplish certain things, as you were saying, in his timing and in his way and in his will. Um we, when we think about the plan of God, this is probably the directive will of God, the determining will of God. This is probably what we think of first, when we think of God being sovereign, having a sovereign will, having a plan for eternity. Um, when we read in Ephesians about him working everything according to the counsel of his will, you know, God has a determined plan and direction that as we've just been highlighting, involves everything. Mm-hmm. So this is, when we talk about God having a purpose and God having a plan, this, it's this directive will that we are really kind of resting in, and we rest in the fact that it can't be thwarted. Um, and so I think it's best illustrated just in the larger meta narrative of Scripture, the larger story of Scripture of salvation, mm-hmm. and how you know he had a plan before the foundations of the world, um, in allowing sin, providing a savior, using Abraham, using the nation of Israel, saving people, advancing that to the ends of the earth, to the return of Christ, like this overarching theme of his glory to the salvation of his people, um, that was all worked and determined and decreed in the heart and the mind of God. Mm-hmm. And before he created, this is 
what's going to happen. Um, and so, anyway, so you think about some of the scriptures that will support what I've just said. First Corinthians 2, 7, Paul's writing, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. This specifically, he's talking about, you know, Gentiles coming to faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is decreed. This was determined. This was directed by God. He says here before the ages of our glory, Psalm one nineteen eighty nine to ninety one. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth; it stands forever. Then he says here, by your appointment, they stand this day. For all things are your servants. All right, your word firmly fixed. Uh, Psalm 33, 10 and 11. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. Thankfully, it's not the other way around. Hmm. And it says in verse 11 of Psalm 33, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. And then Isaiah 37, verse 26. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should make fortified cities crash into heaps of ruins. So what is what he's doing now was planned from days of old, from the beginning. He has a counsel, he has a wisdom, a determined plan that stands forever. It's not frustrated, mm-hmm. and it's contrasted, especially there in that Psalm 33, Human beings have plans. Yeah. They get frustrated by the plan of God, not the other way around. So we talk about how does this plan of God, well, it comes about, it's decreed, it's determined. um, That's the directive will of God. God's sovereignty on display. Yes. Through that. And that's probably the easiest of kind of these four uh, ways that his plan comes about to wrap our minds around. The next that I mentioned earlier is the permissive will of God. Yep. And so, take us take us through that. Yep. Let's, so you this was a little more difficult. Yep. And yep. So you have this decree of God before the foundations of the world. Um, this plan that will not get thwarted. In some ways, okay. So how does that plan get out? A part of that is through the permissive will of God. And so, I guess not to use the word in its own definition, but it's God permissively allowing things to happen. So um, God's permissive will is what allow God allows God to remain true to his character while allowing the presence of evil in this world, and I think we'll talk about that here in a minute, but God's permissive will is understood as God working through the actions of other moral agents, such as angels, such as people, and even sometimes through their evil deeds. So the, the I think the classic example, but the, it's a great example and it's a perfect example, are just the actions of Joseph's brothers mm-hmm. against Joseph, you know? And so God allows evil to happen, but in his sovereignty, that evil is also accomplishing the will of God. Because how does Joseph, res- how, how does he respond he responds at the end of Genesis saying, you know what, you intended this for evil. All that you did to me, you intended evil to me. But God's purposes frustrated that evil 
and brings about his end, and Joseph says, by saving people. Um, namely, saving the family of Abraham, who, uh, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saving the family of Jacob, who has the promises directly of God. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless the nations through you. All right, and so you have God allowing evil but then frustrating evil purposes to accomplish his plan. And so um, the second example of that, which I would suggest what Joseph's brothers did to Joseph is a foreshadowing of what the nation of Israel did to Jesus. And there are multiple passages, especially early on in Acts, that talk about you know God's people there in Jesus's time sending him to the cross, rejecting him, but it was also in that was um, accomplishing the will of God, Mm -hmm. and so allowing them to reject him. So let me read a couple of those passages. I think I've referenced them. The Genesis 50 I've referenced already, Um, but Luke chapter 22, um, Jesus is speaking, he sees, and he recognizes Judas, and he's going to betray him. But Jesus says, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is on the table. He's right here. Verse 22, for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So even the sin of betraying Jesus falls within the plan of God. But we're getting a sense here that that doesn't, absolve Judas of his sin. He's still culpable. He's still responsible. Um, And then in Acts chapter 2, I had referenced men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God and mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, like, like Jesus, he is the son of God. He's the Messiah, fully divine, fully human. It was attested to you by the things that you did. Well, this Jesus... He was delivered up. Well, how was Jesus delivered up? Well, Judas betrayed him. The Pharisees enacted a plan. Mm-hmm. Pilate was weak and washed his hands, and you sent him. That's how he's delivered up, right? Well, but how does Peter describe? How it? does Peter? He was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Like all that happened to Jesus was according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge, and the foreknowledge is the foreordaining of God. He says, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So you did these things. You're culpable and responsible for them, but it happened according to the plan of God. This is the permissive will of God. Um, and then he echoes that in another message Peter does in Acts chapter 4. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but here is the early believers. I think this is in the responding to the persecution that they're starting to face in the opposition. They're like, we recognize that what Herod and Pontius Pilate did, it was wrong. They were your servants. They rejected, crucified Christ but they did whatever your hand and plan had predestined to take place. They did it according to the plan of God. So you have this permissive will of mm-hmm. God that he is allowing free agent human beings to do the wrong thing, but even that <clears throat> wrong thing falls in the larger 
planned directive will of God. Mm-hmm. That, that corresponds, the two together. Yes, yes. All right, and then the third was the prescriptive will of God. Yeah, so, so how would you, how yep. does this differ from those first two? And Think of the word, just that word prescriptive, you think of prescribe or what we pick up at CVS, prescriptions. So you have certain things that are laid out and expectations, think of them that way. So um, the Ten Commandments are an expectation. You have, um, within the Mosaic Covenant, you had certain prescriptions and expectations on the people of God. Excuse me, and God says, obey and I'll bless you, disobey and I curse you. So you have him carrying out his will by prescribing his will. This is what he desires. Obey me and I'll bless you. And so he is acting and involved in relation to these covenants, to these expectations and what he has prescribed. And so his prescriptive will is what God requires of his created beings. Adam and Eve in the garden, obey, and you will live in perfection. Disobey, and you will surely die. Well, they disobeyed, and God is involved in carrying out those consequences, Mm -hmm. all right? And so it's what he requires of his created beings. These are the commands that he makes upon mankind, such as the Ten Commandments. Uh, We see things in the Sermon on the Mount. The and all throughout, even in the epistles, the the imperatives or the commands to do these things. Mm-hmm. All right, this is what he expects of his people to mm-hmm. do, and he operates and he carries out his will when people obey. So he uses yes the sinful actions of man, but he's also using and carrying out his plan on this earth through the obedient. Mm-hmm. Um, Response to his prescriptive I hadn't vote. thought of this until you we were just talking through it. Would you, if Satan were to attack one of these, do you think it's this one? I'm just thinking through, like, in the garden, you know, it was, did God really say? And so, like, God's laid out these expectations. He's given them to us, but in our own sinfulness and in the twisting of Satan, like, did God really say A? Sure. Maybe he said B, yep. you know, and yeah, so and just thinking that like doubt. Yep. Mm-hmm. that little bit that just trying to twist and undermine the expectations God's given us. Uh, but then there's the kind well, of – And I think also, you know, you think about not only is – yeah, you have that kind of activity of, with by Satan, but I think you also mm-hmm. have the direct activity mm-hmm. of Satan, especially when Jesus was there on the earth. Yes. You have this incredible amount of demonic activity and possession in people – as a statement of, I owned this world. Yeah. I am in control. I am directly opposing this decreed plan that you have yeah. by possessing these people. And of course, what does Jesus do? Nope, I'm greater. I'm frustrating your plan and I'm casting mm-hmm. them out. I'm displaying lordship even over what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. It, so it always it makes me <clears throat> chuckle whenever I'm reading in the Gospels and you have these. You know, demon saying, "Well, what are you doing here? Yeah, like it's not your time yet." And he's like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead, get out." Yeah, like see just, those pigs over there. Why don't you go yeah. have fun with those? Yeah, yep. and so, um, all right. So we talked about the descriptive, sorry, the directive. Yep. The permissive, prescriptive. What about God's providence? What about the yep. providence of God? Yep. So we're talking about when God is 
directly intervening. And so you have, I think what we see in Scripture is not just a God who decrees certain things and steps back and does nothing. Uh, We don't have a God who decrees, decrees certain things and then just, you know, steps back and is observing, you know, the the free will of human beings and how it's playing out. You have a God who is also, he's decreeing it. He's allowing and working through the free will of people and the choices and what he's permissing and, but also how he has prescribed things to be. He's made his will known. He He's not indifferent. He's not inactive. The providence of God in carrying out his plan is he is also directly involved and he is interfering. He's intervening. He's directly at work. Obviously, the the front and center providence of God is Jesus himself, mm-hmm. where I'm stepping into the situation and solving the problem. Yeah. All right? Um, but when we think about the providence of God, you have um, – God's, I guess you can just think about it as God's intervening work, his intervention, his direct activity, um, and in connection to the will of God, it's his activity in the world, um, his intervention in the affairs of creation, and he does it kind of in two ways, I guess you could say, not kind of, he does it in two ways. He's generally provident in that he is upholding all things, and I think we talked about that earlier, Colossians one seventeen, but he's also specially provident in the acts, uh, in specific acts in individual people's lives. Um, we, we see this often, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's intervening in their lives. He's there with them in the fire. Um, <clears throat> uh, we see him doing that. Uh, a couple examples, Daniel 4, 25, uh, Daniel talking with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is full of pride and, what does God do? He intervenes. And Daniel says that you will be driven from among men. Your dwelling will shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You'll be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time will pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. So he's directly doing something to King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Colossians 1.17, he's before all things. He's holding all things together. You know, think about the hand of God, the fingerprints of God on everything, holding it together. Um, and then the class, you know, the passage that we just cling to all the time is Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, it is a God who is actively working. And then I go back to what Joseph there at the end of Genesis, what he said, like, you meant evil against me, but God intended for good to bring Bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so you have God directly intervening, whether it's communicating with people, whether it's Peter walking on the water, whether it's the, the plagues in Egypt, you know, you know, this direct activity of God working in such a way to move his plan forward. So mm-hmm. he's active. He's not just this distant God who's not involved. So that's yeah. that would, would mean the providence of God and how he's bringing his will about. And so when you think about, so God's plan and him, these four ways he brings his will about, you think back, if you've listened to previous episodes about his different uh, attributes, whether incommunicable or communicable, and you put it all together, I think there's kind of one, 
question that probably has kept more people from um, trusting in Christ mm-hmm. or has undermined uh, others' faith, and that is the problem of evil. <clears throat> and so, Steve, can you just walk through um, – Briefly, because yep. <laughs> yep. you could spend a, a full series of podcasts on this, but just briefly, how does the problem of evil work in conjunction with, or doesn't it, with God's plan? Yep. Yeah, and probably already maybe you've had some red flags being thrown up in your head when you're talking about it. God's plan includes everything, you know, mm-hmm. the permissive will, it, it includes even the sinful, evil choices of human beings, and yet, <clears throat> even with Christ, that was evil to send him to the cross. It was unjust, and yet that fulfilled God's purposes. Yeah, you know. Um, so then, is God the the author of sin? Is he um, then because he's using sin? Is sin no longer sin? Is it? Um, you know, those are all hard, difficult questions, and there there's a lot of philosophical ways that we could try to answer those things, but I, I think the simplest answer is thinking thinking through this problem, and I guess it's been that argument, the problem of evil, and you're right, it has shipwrecked a lot of people's yeah. faith. Um, it is probably the one argument against the, de- against the existence of God that um, tends to carry the most weight and we see get the most traction, but it doesn't mean that there's not an answer for it. Right. Um, but the the kind of the argument kind of goes in this way that is is God unable to prevent evil? And we look at our world and we say that there's evil. So if he's unable to prevent it, then he's not omnipotent. Mm-hmm. Um, he would be in on some way impotent. And if God is not omnipotent, then he's not God. So God doesn't exist. Um, and if so, is God unable to prevent evil? And we would say, yes, he would be able to. Then is God unwilling then to prevent evil? So <clears throat> if he's unwilling to prevent evil, when he is able to prevent evil, then... God must be malevolent. He must have nefarious motives mm-hmm. that he would allow evil to happen. <clears throat> and if he but if he is will if he's unwilling to prevent evil, we see evil. So he must be both willing and able. If he's able to prevent evil and he is willing to prevent it, and we have evil, then, then why do we have it? We, there shouldn't be evil here. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> that train and those questions have really, um, Satan, I think, has used Absolutely. quite effectively. But there's another question that I think we need to add to those, these questions. Yes, he's able. Um, he's allowing it. But there's something, is there something of greater value to God than preventing evil? So there, is there something of greater value to God than ridding evil? Um, and in his wisdom, why has he allowed it? And I think Romans chapter 9, and as a church we're going to be moving into this 
here at the beginning of 2024. Um, Romans chapter 9 gives us a glimpse, I think, in answering that, I guess we would call it that fourth question, is that is there something of greater value to God than ridding evil? And I might even say ridding evil today. Um, but just let me read verses 17 to 23, and we'll try to, to wrap this up with these verses. But it says, For the scriptures say to Pharaoh, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? But you, but who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel uh, for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, and here's a greater value, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order purpose statement, to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. There's a purpose statement there, to make known the riches of his glory. God's greatest value in his mind is his glory. And there is no greater good in this world than his creation enjoying his glory. And this greater value of God's glory allows for the temporary presence of evil. And behind even that, there's no evil without persons, all right? And so God permits and allows and determined, I am going to make image bearers, people who have choice, free will, because he is most glorified when people love him, when people out of their free will recognize his glory. And so, what does that require? The potential for sin. But even in the allowing of sin, he gets glorified in the punishment of sin. He is glorified in his wrath against sin. And allowing that brings about a greater glory of God. And just because sin is present and evil is present in the world now, doesn't mean it's not being punished doesn't mean it won't be punished in the future you know the problem of evil when we only approach it through our finite sense of time becomes a problem yeah but when you take an eternal perspective you will recognize 
that evil is only endured for a period of time, and then it is punished. And even in that punishment, God is then glorified. Mm-hmm. All right? And so there is a greater value in God's heart and mind than just simply ridding the world of evil. Yes. Um, so I think that's a mm-hmm. hopefully a somewhat succinct <laughs> way to answer that problem. Yeah. Um, but it is adding, is there a, something of greater value that God has that would allow the presence of evil, but allow it in such a way that it brings some glory? Yeah. And of course, the punishment of it brings and, some glory. And I think that actually serves as a nice kind of segue, I'm thinking, into our next episode. You know, as God is glorified most as we love him as he is revealed. Mm-hmm. And so our next episode, we're going to spend some time looking at the various names of God and these moments where um, evil may have seemed to have gotten the better of the situation, yet God was glorified in these individuals as these various names are ascribed to him. And so looking forward to having that that conversation, a little cliffhanger for you. So hold on tight. We'll see you again soon. Yeah, God bless. Thanks for listening.